the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Good day. Let's talk investing. Let's talk money. Let's talk retirement. You with me against me because you got to choose a side. This is a civil war of financial media. NASDAQ down 1.2% yesterday. Oh, boy. Happy Holly. Happy International Women's Day. Happy Purim. I don't know. Happy, happy, happy. Right? Good times. But not on the stock market. The SP 500 was down 1.5%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.7%. Ten-year Treasury sits at 3.97%. Yesterday was Fed Chairman Jerome Powell dropping just, I I guess you could say, a, a a chemical reaction on Capitol Hill with his testimony. It it bubbled over. It fizzed over. It came into the stock market. Two-year Treasury yield spiked to above 5% for the first time since 2007. So it's not wildly um, novel. It's not something strange, but it's been a long time. Income investing is, I'm not going to say easy, but it's a lot easier right now than stock investing. You have tailwinds in income. You have headwinds in stocks. I have said for 25 years on the air that the better environment for investing in stocks is when the 10-year treasury is under, I used to say 4%, but I had to change it to under 3.5%. Just as a sign of the times. Now I'm changing it again. I'd say you invest in the stock market when the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%. You invest in the bond market when bonds are above 3.5-4%. And they are. It kind of stinks. You're sending in your best players, I know, and you're asking them to take a walk. It's the easy way to score right now. I know it stinks, though. Department of Justice, the Department of Justice, where Batman works, is aiming to block JetBlue's spirit takeover. The Biden administration is continuing its full court press against airline consolidation. JetBlue's planned $3.8 billion takeover of Spirit Airlines, claiming the acquisition would raise fares for consumers and decrease options. In an industry that's already known as, would you like bland pretzels or bland peanuts? Spirit has no snacks, 28 inches of legroom, no reclining seats. It is not exactly anyone's top choice for travel. And then when you do travel them, you get nickel and dime and you're like, I should never have traveled with them. So why would prices go up? Spirit starts flying a given route. Average fares fall by 17%. JetBlue estimates that when Spirit stops flying a route, average fares shoot up 30%. 
I don't know. I'm not a big merger guy. I'm not. A, it's it's my knowledge is is very much so inch deep, mile wide there. Two Americans were found dead in a Mexico kidnapping. When you read the details on the story. It, it again brings up the wow. Kind of factor of anything can happen at any time. But some Americans were in the wrong place at the wrong time is what I got out of it. Not exactly looking for trouble, but looking for a hospital to get a elective procedural done. Um, so I that got me yesterday going down a rabbit hole of doing research on um, going to other countries to get procedures done. And that the industry on medical uh, tourism. It's strange, but it's really big. Elsewhere out there, let's take a look at what's happening today. Um, I'm trying to be as relevant as I can here for you. And we get dealing with interest rate jitters. That's the headline today that we have to deal with. The S&P 500 declined yesterday on interest rate jitters that the Fed's going to continue marching the 10-year treasury, uh, the overnight lending rate higher. And it all starts at the bottom and it kind of works its way up, except for during inflation when you see the inversion inversion of that. Fed chair spoke yesterday. There was a burgeoning concern that continued rate hikes will indeed invite a recession down the road. Elizabeth Warren probably got the best microphone time yesterday. You know how I say Congress people kind of get Jerome Powell up on the Capitol Hill twice a year. And then they just roast them. They just roast them. And Elizabeth Warren's like, I, I want you to speak not to me. I want you to speak to the two million Americans that you are going to cause them to lose their jobs. And you tell them why you're doing this. I was like, whoa. It's not exactly how it works, Miss Warren, but he's got a weird dual mandate. Inflation, fighting inflation, but also keeping us fully employed. And it does look like he's trying to ruin the employment side of it. With that said, I personally believe that inflation is is worse for more people than 2 million people lose their jobs. I know that's very, very controversial. I know you're saying you can't say that in the day and age Twitter. Well, I just kind of did. I think there's pros and cons. There's what I would refer to as compromises. There's no right answers. Watching stocks today is interesting. We have kind of a, a bouncy start to the day. The Dow is clearly in a downtrend. Um, but not by a lot, but it started higher <clears throat> on rebound hopes from yesterday, and it's, it's, it's clearly going lower. The NASDAQ is fighting for break-even, going between green and red and green. And the SP 500 looks like it's marching a little bit higher. I only bring that up because yesterday was one of those days where you're like, oh, the Fed just signed us up for another six months of just watching inflation numbers, maybe three months of watching inflation numbers until inflation comes down meaningfully. We have to assume that they're going to continue definitively not rate, uh, lowering rates, but definitively raising or, or going sideways. Stocks are struggling today after enduring a sell-off yesterday following comments by the Fed Chair, uh, Chairman Jerome Powell. Today is round two. Um, 
Wall Street awaits more testimony, this time before the House Financial Services Committee. Powell's comments on Capitol Hill triggered a 1.5% sell-off yesterday. Not, it didn't feel terrible, but it did feel like, didn't you say a couple months ago that inflation's moving in the right direction? It did. And then yesterday he said uh, it was moving in the right direction, then it spiked again on us. And that's where the bumpiness comes. One. And as far as a pilot goes, he's kind of telling us the truth. We just don't want to hear it. Powell's speech indicates the Fed will heavily depend on near-term data for upcoming rates decisions, with January's macro data mostly printing on the hawkish side. Um, he's kind of going with what the data tells him at this point in time. So this is hell week for stocks because you get two days of testimony on inflation and potential recessions. But you also get Friday's jobs report at the end of the week. What a way to ruin a good Friday if we have a strong jobs number. It's looking like it's going to be a good, strong jobs number. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube at Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Big event coming up this weekend. Sign up at robblackshow.com. It's in Lafayette. It's about income and retirement with Stephanie Richmond. It's Saturday, 10 to noon at Lafayette Park Hotel. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. I'm going to be starting up my compliance approved email newsletter next month. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. It'll be fun. It will be a lot of what's on the show, but in digestible, readable form at lunch, um, i.e. at the office. Uh, Big event coming up this weekend, Saturday, 10 to noon, March 11th, Lafayette Park Hotel, about retirement issues. The seminar has a fancy presentation name, but really it's about life and retirement to me. I've watched the event on slideshow and with talking points, and I'm really impressed with what CFP Stephanie Richmond has put together. You can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com and sign up for the newsletter as well while you're there. That's going to start up in about three to four weeks. Joining me now, Tony Mendez. Um, talking a little bit about income and retirement as well. He's gone to most of my events, historically speaking. Um, one of the issues that this show is all about is income and retirement. And I'm not going to say I don't care because I do. But depending on how you want to get income and retirement, it could be from a rental property. It could be from Social Security. It could be from your dividends on your investments over your life. It could be from selling your investments over your life and pulling out cash. Um, it's not that big of an issue to me how you do it, but you need to know that you need to do it. Because, Tony, I was looking at my Social Security statement the other day and seeing how much I'm going to lose to federal taxes of my Social Security. It's a good 75 to 85% of my benefit is gone to taxes. Um, so I can't count on income in retirement from Social Security, but I can count on it from rental property. Uh, you do a show here on ADOW today at 2 p.m. People can listen to it as well as there's a replay at 6 p.m. on Thursdays. Um, what can you tell us about income and retirement? Because that's your field. You're in the mortgage business. You're in the lending business. Uh, good morning. I, I can tell you that over the past 19 years that I've been doing real estate in the Bay Area that we see more and more people going into retirement and using real estate as some sort of just kind of passive income in retirement. A lot of baby boomers uh, accumulated properties, you know, here and there, they may have bought one for their their kid in college or 
uh, you know, they may have, you know, fallen into something in like Phoenix or uh, out east buying a rental property just, you know, because somebody else was doing it. And they get in retirement and they're, they're showing that this is giving them some good income. It could be a couple hundred dollars a month. It could have been paid for and they're getting a couple thousand dollars a month. But it's something that we're seeing more often, certainly. Sure. And uh, a good 20 years ago, I bought a piece of property in North Carolina. It had a mortgage. 20 years later, the mortgage is almost completely paid off. And that will turn into about $15,000 a year of income, of which the beautiful part is I don't do anything with the property because I have property management. So I lose a chunk of the money of income to property management, but it's also a lot more passive than active. I don't have to manage it. Um, What are your thoughts on looking out of state or do you like looking in state um, for income properties? When it comes to retirement income and uh, with real estate, you want something that works and it's easy and it's uh, kind of hands-free, uh, whether that's using a property management company or not. What, so I don't have a real preference of whether it's in state or not. I think what you know, if you're working with a financial planner of any kind, they're going to want some sort of rate of return on that investment. Otherwise, they're going to take it that you know the equity and put it somewhere else that's going to work better. So that, I think that's the most important part that you have to work backwards from what's going to work financially and then find out where it's going to work for you, um, you know, as far as the numbers and, and how you're going to manage that. If it has to be next door, perfect. And you want to do it, and that's something that you can handle in retirement. Um, I can say, and I want to make sure that I do say this one thing, most people that go into retirement that want real estate, they make yeah. the mistake of getting it after they retire. So it's a lot harder to qualify for rental properties before uh, after you retire than it is before you retire while you're working, while you're leveraging your income. So that's the most important thing is to really start planning on it early and, and maybe set some goals. Uh, for example, uh, I bought a property that I wanted to use just the income, and it could be a couple hundred dollars a month, $2,400 a year to pay for long-term care insurance because my parents needed it, and I'm, I'm kind of looking at what my health will look like in the future and what I'll need. So you can do something like that where one property pays for your IRA contributions, one pays for health insurance, one pays for long-term care, and so on. So there's those kind of ideas that you can put in play, but you want to do that early when you can leverage your income before you go into retirement. You've rounded up three articles that you sent to me that if our listeners want to get a copy of, they can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com, rob at robblackshow.com, about income and retirement, or they can contact you at bayarealonesource.com. Is that still the website? Because I know it's uh, it's changing and it's updating. Uh, it is still bayarealonesource.com, yes. I changed okay, the Facebook to uh, Real Estate Radio Show, Real okay. Estate Report Radio Show. That's a little complicated. So just remember com and all the information's there. Do you know where I first learned about income and retirement through real estate? Um, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. TV TV sitcom. Mr. Roper, Suzanne Somers. (laughs) Come on, knock on my door. Where Mr. Roper and his wife, Mrs. Roper, appropriately named, lived above them. And Jack had to pretend that he was a gay man because he was living with two sexy, beautiful young women. That sounds so 70s, doesn't it? It sounds so 70s and 80s that you can't make this up. But they looked like they're in retirement because she wore a muumu. And he just came downstairs to check on his tenants and uh, collect rent money from them. You can use that as a reference of, of what it used to be like, and certainly it's a lot harder today to really follow, follow all the rules. For example, San Francisco just came out with a new 
um, law that if you want to increase rents, you have to register with a kind of rent board. Uh, and, and we're seeing that all, all around the country. So it, it's, it can have some headaches. And I, I think what, what starting early can get you a little bit of experience so you know what to expect. And maybe when you get to retirement, you're, you're like, I don't want to deal with this rental property. I'm just going to sell it and take the equity and move it somewhere else into a different kind of asset. So, yeah, it's it's definitely different. And we work with a lot of investors who experience these type of things. So um, these articles that I have together are pretty um, rudimentary, but it gives you an idea of, you know, how you can start and we start thinking about how it could work for you. I got to imagine that it's trending on Twitter already after I mentioned it. Cancel Mr. Roper. So <laughs> because you've run into this, um, you see this because you work with a Gordon Hines and he does a lot of rental properties and he's, he's got his fingers in a lot of real estate where yours are mostly in mortgages. Um, but tenant law, tenant laws are kind of crazy and you, you can't pull stuff like you could in the 1970s and 80s. Um, I'm just thinking about Mr. Roper nonstop now. So sorry about that, Tony. Um, plug your show real quick and uh, plug the event coming up this weekend. Yeah, with the Real Estate Report radio show, it's on th- Wednesdays at 2 to 3 p.m. Replays on Thursday nights. It's a great show to um, kind of catch up on you know local and national news as far as coming up with um, you know, mortgage rates. You know, Powell's mm-hmm. on today, for example. He's going to start. Yeah, in fact, I think he's on right now talking about what Got to it. expect in the economy. These are the type of things we talk about. And the big event coming up this Saturday, 10 to noon, 10 to noon, Lafayette Park Hotel. It's all about income streams and retirement roadblocks that you're going to have. I just want you to have a great retirement. That's what the event's all about. It's a brand new event hosted by CFP Stephanie Richmond with EP Wealth. Sign up at Rob Black Show. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. Yesterday, Patrick, I was trying to come up with a cute way of what we were seeing that I could turn it into a TV slash radio segment. And all I got was a Dean Wormer drop the bomb and basically shut down the fraternity from... Animal House and Jerome Powell is Dean Wormer. It was kind of a wet towel yesterday. It didn't feel good. It just it feels like, oh, we're going to be talking about high interest rates for a long time, which for the record, for income investors, it's a glorious time to be an income investor. But for growth stock investors, it's kind of like that's a big headwind. Um, What did you think of Dean Wormer's testimony in front of Congress yesterday? (laughs) Uh, Well, I love that movie, just to be clear. Um, You know, I think the Fed chair said what he should have said. Um, Maybe maybe what he should have said, you know, uh, at his last FOMC uh, press conference. But um, but I also think that the market, um, not that it overreacted, but probably shouldn't have feigned as much surprise with what the Fed chair was saying. Right. He reminded everyone that the Fed still has a lot of work to do to get inflation down to the 2% target. That's nothing new. Um, he intimated that rates likely to go higher than previously anticipated. Um, the market was already sniffing out that likelihood. Um, and I think probably what upset the market the most yesterday, though, was the recognition that you know the Fed is not um, going to just sit back necessarily and relax with 25 basis point incremental rate hikes if the data suggests otherwise. And I think the market got a little complacent with that belief uh, when the Fed did downshift at, you know, at the last meeting. And so 
uh, you saw that quickly reflected in the Fed funds futures market. You know, now the uh, expectation, the prevailing expectation is that the Fed will, in fact, raise 50 basis points when it meets in March, whereas before it was only 25 basis points. And so, um, you know, with that recognition and with the understanding that the terminal rate uh, likely has to be adjusted higher as well, um, you know, you saw the, the market fell off like it did, but I would point out to listeners that you know, the market is basically range-bound. It's been range-bound since October. We're pretty much right in the middle of that range at the 4,000 level. So while there's a lot of excitement, if you will, over how the market reacted to things yesterday, uh, you know, I told a colleague here that we're in a point now where the market goes everywhere and nowhere all at the same time because everyone's trying to figure out exactly where that terminal rate is going to be, and it creates a lot of volatility. One of the things that I think came out of yesterday from Jerome Powell, and I will not disrespect him with the Dean Wormer comment again, but one of the things that came out was Elizabeth Warren's question about, you know, I want you to talk to the two million people that are going to lose their jobs because of you. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of liked her doing that because she is talking about a potential recessionary type scenario and it's demon known versus demon unknown, but also is a little grandstanding. Did you take anything away from Elizabeth Warren yesterday and her uh, conversation with Mr. Powell? Well, you know, I think what she did not account for was that, you know, or she's assuming anyway that those two million people won't find another job either. You know, That's right. uh, it's making it sound as if it's a permanent, you know, unemployment uh, situation. And as we saw in the Jolt's job opening reports this morning, there's 1.9 available jobs for every unemployed worker right now. So it was a little, uh, not to get overly political here, but I think it was some grandstanding on her part. Uh, and as the Fed chair did try to point out, uh, is, you know, even with the projection of the you know, potential for 2 million job losses based on what the Fed is, is going to do with rate hikes, that would take the unemployment rate to 4.5%. Uh, we're at 3.4% now, which is uh, a 54-year low. And 4.5%, as the Fed chair pointed out, is lower than most of where the, you know, is lower than where the unemployment rate has been for most of the last 75 years. So you're still going to be in a condition or an environment where the job market is is, is still pretty good. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the Fed, like he also pointed out, the only tool it has essentially to try to quell inflation is to raise interest rates. And by raising interest rates, you do kill demand, which unfortunately does lead to some job losses. Uh, and that's just a natural you know, consequence of, of that action. But, uh, but it is ultimately super important for the Fed to get inflation under control. And, um, you know, the Fed chair has been pretty upfront about acknowledging that, unfortunately, that's going to create some, some harm to people throughout the process. And they're trying to do their best to minimize that, uh, that level of harm. Well put. Excellent as always. High quality information and delivered with elegance. Um, what else do we need to be focusing it on? Because we're out of earnings season. We're on Fed Watch at this point in time. Jobs report this Friday, but Fed coming up later in the month. Um, is there anything down the road that we, we should be eyeballing? Maybe China, U.S., maybe next round of earnings season. Uh, what are your flags? Where are they being planted these days? Yeah. 
Well, it all seems to be related to the direction of interest rates. Um, and that that's going to, you know, what happens with the level of interest rates has some pass-through effects to the economy, to the to earnings prospects, uh, things of that nature. And, and yes, the geopolitical situation uh, doesn't sound good right now, and that's always a wild card there, something to take account of. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, the stock market in particular is really in tune with uh, what's happening with interest rates uh, because really, you know, what I alluded to in my page one column this morning is that, um, you know, rising interest rates, you know, create a number of problems for the stock market in terms of, you know, they put a limit on multiple expansion, they create increased competition with bonds that, you know, have higher higher yields, and uh, and they invite that potential for a sharp economic slowdown, you know, that won't be good for earnings prospects. And so we need to get to a point, or the stock market anyway, needs to get to a point where it feels good that interest rates, um, you know, are settling down. And, and that doesn't mean so much that they have to go way down. It just means that they have to stop, you know, going up. And, you know, if you get into a quieter, calmer period of interest rate dynamics, People and the market adjust to that, right? And what what I pointed out before with you, Rob, is that you know we've been conditioned for too long now to expect interest rates to be so you know super low, and we're moving back to a period of normalization, really. Um, and and that just can be an upsetting adjustment period. But once things calm down, people adjust and and uh, get on with their lives. We've got about three minutes left, so I'll give you the microphone time to fill us in on anything that you want to focus on or maybe change focus on. It does feel like we're a little heavy on Jerome Powell, inflation, recession, interest rates, slowing the economy, higher cost of borrowing. I'm I'm looking for something refreshing. I'm looking for something like water in a desert right now. Can you help me? Well, you know, I guess if the water in the desert is that, you know, when you get into periods like this, you, you do see overreactions also. Yeah. And so something that you have to, you know, maybe uh, our listeners and investors, you know, have to look at are, are those, you know, kind of episodes where stocks, you know, get dislocated and, and really get punished, uh, perhaps unfairly for, you know, reduced earnings expectations. Uh, so there's, there is always opportunity in, in the darkness here. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not, we're not through that period completely yet. Right. Um, you know, we still think that, you know, earnings estimates are going to be subject to, to downward marking here, which again, you know, raises concerns about, you know, where the market's valuation is. We're still, believe it or not, even though we've had the, the sell off through February, uh, a little bit into early March, um, the S&P 500 is still trading at a premium to its 10-year historical average. It's at about 17.6 times right now, and your average is about 17.2. So uh, if we're correct in, in suggesting that forward estimates are still going to be marked down, well, you know, the market is going to have difficulty here in the near term trying to, uh, you know, get some footing and, and really breaking out you know, of this trading range we, we've been in. And so it's just a period here where we have to adjust to uh, to a changing uh, environment. And and as you alluded to, Rob, I mean, at least, you know, the bright side, the water in the desert as well, is that uh, there's a lot more opportunity now for savers 
than there ever has been. Well, not ever, I'm saying, yeah. but than there has been over the last probably 20 years. You know, when you have a one-year T-bill yield at close to 5.3%. Um, so there's opportunity there, and there's a good place to kind of like hide out, if you will, while the Fed does its job to try to get inflation back under control. And when the Fed is successful in that, uh, well, then things will look better for stocks as well than maybe they do at the moment. Thanks very much. Always classy, always insightful. And I like the phrase hide hide out while the Fed does their work. And I, and I think you are right. And it's it's great reporting you've done for the last year. It, it's not necessarily sexy. It's not necessarily fun, but um, it's great reporting that the Fed, it takes a year to three years to play out when they are the story and not Wall Street. Thanks very much. It's um, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news you could use. I start my day every day with his page one Monday through Friday and Friday in my day with his Big picture, um, a much longer piece that he does. Big event coming up this weekend in Lafayette, California, at the Lafayette Park Hotel. It's all about life and retirement, how you're going to set up your income, how you're going to set up your finances, and what mistakes you don't want to make. Sign up at Rob Black Show. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Let's do two things this segment. Let's talk about a sexy stock with sexy upside. But also, let's talk about a quick email that I got yesterday, and it just kind of reaffirms what I'm trying to do. Um, it was from a woman named Marilyn. She dropped me an email. Good morning, Rob. I watch your segment on Cron 4 News. I have a question regarding stocks. Not so familiar how this works. What do you recommend for me to buy or or stocks that I should be investing in? Apple, Amazon, for instance. I have a Vanguard account where I could buy stocks from. I want to buy stocks for my 14-year-old daughter as an investment. Thank you, Marilyn. And I got back to her and whoa, 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 kind of thing, right? Um, first and foremost, get familiar with what you're doing before you buy stocks. I say index funds till you have $100,000. Losing money is never fun, even if it's paper money. So you be prepared for down markets or don't do it. In the end, I don't think you're investing in markets. I think you're investing in capitalism. And the fact that the businesses that you buy food from, the businesses that you buy clothes from, the gas stations that you go to, they're all in the business of making a little bit of money. Some of them a lot of money, some of them a little bit of money. And they share that with you in capitalism through the stock market. Um, I told her there's a good book out there called The Truth About Money. It's written by Rick Edelman, and it really goes over 20 to 40 things that you need to know. Um, It's old. It's out of date. Um, I think it's still a pretty good read. Um, I have a copy of it that is so stained and destroyed from putting it in suitcases and taking it to seminars and things. Uh, it's nasty. But I look at it on occasion just to make sure it's still relevant. It's still relevant. Um, then I went on to tell Marilyn, uh, unless you're wealthy and have funded your retirement, in no way, shape, or form would I advise investing for a 14-year-old daughter. You need to invest for yourself and your retirement first and foremost. There's ways to figure out paying for her college. There's ways for figuring out paying for her wedding later in life. But at 14, you need to be focusing on you, not on her. And if you're saving in her name, you're making an even a bigger mistake, in my opinion, 
because one out of four kids don't turn out the way we want them to. And at 18, if you are hoping to have some sway of them going to college, giving them a hundred thousand dollars in a cash account or an investment account, they could just, you know, throw you the bird and say, see you later, mom, I'm going to France, which is what I would have done at 18. If it wasn't expected built into my mentality, my DNA that I was supposed to go to college. I'm not doing that with my kids at this point. I would like them to. Um, that four-year period of transitioning into adult, I think, is is, is wonderful. Um, but it's not for everyone as well. So I told her that I would not give my kids money like that. I would not invest it for them before I invest for myself and my spouse and my retirement. Um, but they're going to get a good inheritance, and they're going to have you know a father that's able to help them with down payments. That's fair to say. And then I told Marilyn in the email, I said, when you're ready to invest in yourself, consider a 401k or 403b at work. If you're a stay-at-home uh, parent, consider a Roth IRA. I would call 800 Fidelity or 800 Vanguard and ask for them to help you. They've got salespeople on the other line that can walk you through the process. They're low cost, low fee, um, low barrier to entry, diversified groups with great paperwork, and they're big. And I have no problem saying Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, TD Ameritrade. I'm good with, not. I'm not going to say I'm good with them all, but I'm good with them. So there's your email. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. And if you're coming to the event this weekend, we are having breakfast. So come hungry. Um, 10 to noon, Saturday, 10 to noon, Lafayette Park Hotel, um, come early and um, bring your questions for a CFP. Bring your questions for me. You can sign up today at robblackshow.com. NVIDIA is going to soar 19% as the market's top semiconductor stock, ultimately because their semiconductors work seamlessly with artificial intelligence, and they have a huge head start, so says Credit Suisse. So AI, you're hearing Salesforce has got their Einstein AI, and Microsoft has theirs, and Google has the BARD system, and you're starting to hear more and more about it. Big corporations are now starting to send email using AI. Interesting. Um, with that said, AI should be able to troubleshoot problems for you. Let's say your kid's playing Madden and he gets ripped off by an adult uh, in a trade and to the tune of like $15 or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh Getting on the phone and getting tech support from another country is frustrating for people. Waiting 30 minutes to have poor communication and have your issue not resolved is frustrating. AI can do all that kind of stuff. We're just not there yet. NVIDIA stock is set to hit $275 due to its leadership in AI, according to Credit Suisse. This is their report out this morning. Shares have jumped 60, 60% since the start of the year. Um, this is a big price target, and this is a big statement. Due to their lead in AI semiconductors. Now, you may know NVIDIA from their video game cards for PCs. Um, NVIDIA GPUs control 95 to 100% of the market for computer training, for computer training, AI. And there's no challengers at this point who've ramped up enough to get in on the action. Um, now, NVIDIA GPUs are used in uh, video, uh, Not I was going to say video games for sure for sure, but also in having cars learn how to drive on the road. Um, 
Much of NVIDIA's AI is developed today by NVIDIA-made programs, such as what are called CUDA libraries, C-U-D-A, plus enterprise AI software, which essentially serves as the operating system for AI. NVIDIA is well-positioned, and the addressable market for AI looks to be about $600 billion, with $300 billion in hardware and $300 billion in software. NVIDIA will be a dominating computer engine that drives AI, and I'm not going to say this is the next boom. I don't do that. I don't hype. I don't push. I don't. I'll let you figure it out. But Credit Suisse says NVIDIA is their favorite semiconductor. Big event coming up Saturday, uh, Saturday, March 10th in Lafayette, California at the Lafayette Park Hotel. It's all about income and retirement. CFP Stephanie Richmond from EP Wealth is going to be going over a new presentation. You can learn more about the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.